House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I am the one and only Al Warren. <laughs> you are, Al. <laughs> the one and only. The one and only. That's right. I don't know what everybody... This should be the last show before the, my summer break. Summer break? What are you going to so, do? Work. <laughs> <laughs> this show is the only thing that keeps you out of trouble. It's the only thing that keeps me grounded and mm. uh, keeps me in a in a regular holding pattern, you know, mm. five days a week or four days a week over the summer. And and this is crazy because I'm still going to be doing things. Well, you know, I've got a couple of big interviews lined up to do live, and it's um, great. That's about it, really. I mean, I, and then I, you know, some research, but I'm going to take it easy. Well, so, you should. Yeah. Because I'm getting old. <laughs> I'm getting old. I know the feeling. Yeah. Well, you wait. Mm. Think of today and add 10 years. No. Going to get worse. I don't want to. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> life is a horror. Not a whore, a horror. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, sometimes. but Sometimes. Well, <laughs> speaking of that, we've got a, well, we've got a horror author, not a whore. Um, so now, his new book. Wolf at the Door, okay, and his mm-hmm. name is Joel McKay. So uh, thank you for being here, Joel. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alan. Good to, good to chat. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Let me find out. <laughs> we'll see if you hang up. I mean, you're, you're way up north, in the innocent Canadian. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that still the impression that people have south of the 49th, that somehow this country is like a uh, – more innocent, pure version of of the lower forty eight. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think for the most part, you know, even even when the truckers came across and did all that stuff, it was still kind of oh, wow, um, you know, it's still people have that. I, I, but you know, we were talking to a guy a, a week or two ago, interviewing some guy that um, out of the BBC that does books and he travels all over and 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 he had a really good um i think opinion about how each country is really like a personality you know like canada like russia china the states they all have a personality and and they keep on doing things over and over that fit the personality and sometimes people get surprised when something like with with russia with ha- that happened here with the war and stuff that people are like, Oh my God, I didn't expect that. And you hear that and you think about it, like he was saying, but Russia is a person. Think of it as a person and all the things they've done. And if you think of it that way, it's not necessarily a surprise. So I think it's the same terms in Canada. I think that you have so many years of being sorry. (laughs) Well, you know, like it's, it's funny too, right? Because I think you're right about that. Like, I think there is kind of some truth to the stereotype, but like, you know, you, you get into Canada and I mean, here's a country that, I mean, okay, it doesn't have the revolutionary history that the United States has and it didn't have a civil war, but I mean, we volunteered to fight in two world wars and, and other wars, not because we were being directly attacked, but because, you know, we thought it was either the right thing to do or we needed something to do. And you got a country here of 38 million people who, you know, suffer through winters every year and manage to survive it uh, and just keep going. And so, like, as a Canadian, I find it kind of hilarious because you live in the thing and you're like, yeah, I don't know that we're all that nice. Like, like I've I've been all over this country and like, I love this country. I don't want to live anywhere else, but I've also spent a bunch of time in the U S and like my opinion of the U S is like, man, Americans are like way nicer than some of the people I've run into in, you know, different parts of Canada that shall remain nameless at at this point in time, but it (laughs) left an impression on me. Um, and certainly, you know, other places too. So I think you're right. I think there's a truth to the stereotype, but at the same time, you know, you dig a little bit deeper and you find all these layers of things and you think to yourself, yeah, I don't know that Canada is the way that people think it, but I will say this, 
uh, the PR, whoever we've got doing our PR for us, that we're some kind of uh, lovely, peaceful country that uh, gets along with everybody. I mean, that's they're hitting it out of the park. And uh, let's just keep going with that. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, but living in both and, and dealing with both, I think people um, have a – humans as a race have issues and things – the same everywhere. Um, and so I don't think that's any different. So you can come across a real mean person or a racist or a hateful ogre in any country, anywhere. But it's just, I think it's more about what's more acceptable or what's part of the mainstream at the time, maybe. Um, Americans are also much bigger at selling themselves on everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think right. that's that's in the DNA. Like, there's that does strike me that there's this fundamental difference when the U.S. decided to, you know, nose, uh, you know, thumb its nose at the Union Jack a couple hundred years ago. That basically wrote a, a destiny that was something along the lines of, uh, I guess we got to do this on our own. So if we're going to do it on our own, then we're going to make it into into something that's got kind of this entrepreneurial sort of go out and get them uh, kind of uh reputation around it whereas canada i mean canada is a country where you know we became a country because we negotiated a legal agreement with the empire and and we're born out of that right and so <laughs> we we definitely more reflect that sort of subtle uh, approach to you know achieving your independence versus dumping boxes of tea into you know boston harbor and uh, you know writing down what we wanted to become on paper yeah, yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's a more subtle way. It's kind of that passive aggressive. Now, I think that is a great term for Canada. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean that in the most loving way. It's a well, passive I think aggressive. I think there's some truth to that, though, in the comedy, too, right? Like, there's this, you know, when you, you see Canadian comics, there's this, I don't know, this, there is a passive aggressiveness to us, there's a dryness to it. And there's usually like in between the passive aggressiveness and the dryness, there's like this thinly buried layer of absolute rage. And like it's in there. Like if you pay attention to the jokes and you watch it, you see it's like right under the surface. Like that person's really angry. They're hilarious, but they're 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 actually enraged. But they haven't found the way to just be angry. So it comes out in like some kind of a you know Canadian dry wit or humor or as you say passive aggressiveness, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, then then they say sorry. Yeah, they they say sorry, <laughs> which is the thing. It's totally a thing, and I'll cop to it if I say sorry at some point in this uh, in this uh, interview. Then uh, there you go, and I'm sure I'll say a you know half a dozen times. Yeah, that's yeah, it's already come too. up a few times, right? Yeah. I'm that's that's okay, eh? Hey. But um, <laughs> you, you know, when I first moved to Seattle, I every and I was in the university and that, and every I'd be talking, you know, about whatever, and then people would always keep saying "b b" to me, and I didn't get it at first because I back in the eighties, uh, I'd say "a," and they'd go "b," <laughs> and they thought they were being funny because here's this Canadian, you know, in school, and they thought, you know, but that's you know, that's how they are. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's right. I, Dave I, can tell you. I, I, yeah. I have to admit, I, I kind of caught to like when I would travel down, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago to visit my, my mom. She she married an American in Idaho and they moved down there and lived in southern Idaho. And, you know, I'd meet people at, at house parties and stuff when I'd be down there and, and uh, they'd be like, oh, what's it like in Canada? And like, I have to admit, like I was a bit of a dick about the whole thing. Like, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I mean, you you, we drive on the other side of the road, and you know, like you know, some of us live in igloos. And I'd be like, "Oh, really? Right? Like, is, is that? Oh, yeah, yeah. They've got these roundabouts. As soon as you go through the border, and it switches you around, and and then you you got to switch over to the metric system and everything. And you know, just being a total goofball, right? Trying to sell these things. That's that passive aggressive dry wit, right? And then I'd say yeah. sorry, you know, once they realize. Yeah. That. <laughs> well, yeah, that's I tell them that you have to leave your car parked at the border, and they give you a sled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and or I, I i would do something like i remember saying oh we we just got color tv about two two years ago yeah you know stuff like and this yeah. is in the 80s right yeah absolutely. <laughs> but you know what that really surprised me i ended up in portland and they would um believe me 
I bought it. <laughs> Whereas in Seattle, not so much. But in, in Portland, they all bought it. Well, it's not that much further <laughs> south. So, like, what's going on? It, in- well, it was enough that I noticed that everybody I worked with in Portland, none of them had been to Vancouver their whole life. And I thought, I remember thinking, how weird. You're like only an, a day you could drive there in a couple of hours, like, well, I guess five or six, but you could drive to there. Why wouldn't you go one weekend in your life? And so many of them hadn't. Whereas in Seattle, a lot of people had been back and forth. So I think that's true of everywhere. Like, I, I, and I, I kind of want to ask David the question, like, it's kind of like that back east too, right? Like, I don't think. You know, even these places that are within a couple hours away, like necessarily everybody is always going to them, right? Yeah. yeah well, you know, we have, um, I, I probably shouldn't talk about Rhode Island because I live in Mass, but I live on the border and, you know, uh, people in Rhode Island uh, famously do not like to travel. You know, over the border, and uh, they they don't like to travel over the. Uh, there's a bridge to uh, Newport that they don't like to, to go over either. So. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like Warwick isn't too far, but West Warwick is too far. That's the, that's the joke. You know, you, you get like this, though. Like, I know, like, I live up in northern BC, right? It's a big, big area. And, like, so I live in Prince George's, and it's big area geographically, not by population. There's only 80,000 people in Prince George. We talk to people in Prince George, and, like, oh, you know, have you ever been out to uh, Smithers? Have you ever been up to Mackenzie? No, no. But they've been to Vancouver. They've been to Mexico. They've been to Seattle. They've been to Los Angeles. But nobody bothers to go any further west or any further north, right? And I, and I remember, like, even the last few years I lived in Vancouver because I was born and raised there. Like, I even I, I grew up outside of Vancouver in Burnaby and Coquitlam, which is like bedroom communities. It's like a 20 minute drive. And I was in Vancouver all the time. But when I lived in downtown Vancouver, I, you know, you weren't going to catch me going east of Main Street. Like, you, you know, I think, I think <laughs> you get. In, into these bubbles and you're like and your lifestyle is such and the culture of it is such that you're just like nah you know that's that's too much mm. effort I'm not going not going anywhere. well I wouldn't go anywhere in East Van what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> even on a sunny good day and I, if I was being driven there I'd be like no no oh well do you, so do you find um, Canadian horror to be similar to what mainstream or American horror is, or, you know, because you've got this book out now, do you find you fit in with what's going on? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know if I fit in. I kind of wrote this thing that I thought, you know, kind of made me laugh and had no idea whether or not it had a place, had an audience or anything else. I think there is a bit of that, though. There was a movie that came out of Saskatchewan a few years ago. It's a werewolf too. It's called Wolf Cop. And there's a second one. And it's like this <laughs> over the top Saskatchewan movie. Well, hold on. Did you say Wolf? Wolf Cop? Cop. Yeah. <laughs> you got to watch it. Like you have to see it. Joe Bob Briggs did uh, one of his drive-in uh, specials on it. And like, it's just so over the top and awesome and hilarious and, and violent too. Right. And, like, I think there is this vein of, you know, Canadian humor. It's happening in the States, too, but we're, you know, you're kind of, you're writing horror, you're kind of writing comedy, but the comedy is almost positioned in a way that it's it's funny in two ways. It's funny in the sense that um, the joke itself lands, but it's also super self-aware, like, hey, uh, you guys know that when I'm writing this, this to- this thing is absurd. Like, we're all in on the joke that this entire story is absolutely ridiculous and absurd, and what's happening right now is is just really over the top, right? And I, I do think that's a theme that's popping up, and I do think that's kind of speaks to this self-awareness that exists or self-consciousness that kind of exists in Canada and Canadian humor generally. So I suppose it's not surprising that, you know, there'd be some hoser from northern canada like myself that would you know write something as ridiculous as i've i've written here um but i'm certainly not alone and horror comedy is coming out of the u.s and it's popping up all over the place now so which is nice to see because it's a you know my point of view it's a good entry point into horror because i think for folks who you know don't often like horror don't think of it uh they look at it and maybe it's an intimidating thing they're not sure how to access it maybe they don't want to be scared uh, and horror comedy is kind of a, you know, an adult version of Goosebumps. It gives you a, you know, a step into that world to, you know, have a laugh and, and not, you know, have to worry about uh, not sleeping at night for, for a while and then decide if you want to go any deeper. Yeah. I think that in itself is, is part of what um, 
the Canadian part of it is, right? Because in a sense, Canadian itself, I don't think we take ourselves too seriously. No. No, no matter I think how, that, you know. there's, the national pastime is in, yeah, not taking yourself, not taking anything, you know, really too seriously, except for, you know, uh, you know, public sector healthcare or something like that. I think we get pretty serious about that. But other than that, uh, you know, you're right. Yeah. And driving the school zone speed. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 Things that are very much, you know, rules based or, you know, then, oh yeah. yeah, you'll hear about it from a Canadian. But if, but outside of that, yeah, we're not too fussed by much. Yeah, and I think that sort of fits. Because I've noticed being in the States a lot of my adult life, a lot of Americans don't get my sense of humor. <laughs> and at times I get bite back from it, you know. Um, you think it's because so, we're too, too cutting or? It's a combination of cutting, but also because I don't take it seriously. Like I laugh at a lot of things that Americans think I should be really – because, you know, in the, la- the last years, people get really, really serious about, let's say, their politics or whatever. And I just kind of make fun of it all. Yeah. I I, I just, yeah, you can be serious about subjects and, and talk about it seriously. But really, we're we're on the radio, we're on TV, we're doing media stuff on politics. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're not solving problems. Is what I'm saying by by what a lot of people do on on, on talk shows. So um, I don't know. I just sort of I just I just sort of go so far, and then I kind of try to try to have a little bit of humor with everything because we have some really dark artists and writers and people on the show that are have serious subjects. But I've got to have a little bit of humor. Uh, you know, dark humor is kind of good in a way too. I think it's a sense of relief. Well, yeah, like I, I would agree with you on that. I think it helps you to deal with things like it's, uh, you know, I, I kind of I think I kind of come by it honestly in, in some sense because it's just kind of the house that I grew up in. Like I grew up in a bit of a dysfunctional house and my, you know, like I was exposed to things at a young age that perhaps, you know, are not I- ideal. And I was a journalist in, in, you know, one of my first careers. And so that, you know, you see a lot of stuff. And, and when you see a lot of stuff and you talk to a lot of people and you're dealing with heavy issues, you tend to get start to get like this gutter sense of humor, right? And you got to be careful about that because you don't want to become jaded and cynical. But I think it lends itself to, uh, I don't know, I don't know if it's scar tissue or an emotional resiliency. Uh, uh, some psychologists out there will be able to better describe exactly what my neuroses is better than I can. But <laughs> yeah, I yeah. would say that it lends itself to being able to look at a horrible situation where, you know, werewolves are ripping a family apart at a Thanksgiving dinner and make it really more comedy than, than, than horror. And that's exactly what, what the book is. And it seems to be that, that I tend to gravitate toward that. Um, it, well, my writing generally. Yeah. I was going to say that I I surely like to know who exposed what to you when you were young, where you're writing horror <laughs> stories like this. But that's a different, you know. Yeah, that's stuff. a whole other topic. That's like, uh, you know, <laughs> if you got a, is there a, is still a Colin, you know, personal psychology <laughs> show in Seattle? Because uh, I'll call him Dear to Abby. Him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> well, I was going to say, what possessed you yes. to mix horror with uh, comedy? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want an actual answer? Do you want me to dive into that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll just talk about like this one. Like, what, how did this thing come about? So this thing came about, um, unsurprising. You guys have probably heard this a thousand times now because it's a thing, but it's a thing. Um, you know, first phase of the lockdown of the pandemic. So there I am. And, uh, I'm in this situation where um, my day job is I run a, a fairly large economic development corporation. It's public sector that uh, it looks after northern BC. Uh, it's a fair bit of public money. And, uh, you know, you're trying to figure out as a CEO how to transition a business like that, a public sector environment, into, you know, this crazy new mode of lockdowns and nobody can be at work and everything. And that's weighing on you. And I've got two young daughters and and family and and uh you're in this little basement office trying to make all this work and it's all you kind of look at it uh you know and i'm sitting in i'm freezing you know because it's still not quite you know spring or summer in prince george in in march and april of 2020 and i'm sitting in this office and like i'm freezing in my basement I'm, and i just had one of these days where you're like this is ridiculous and you start laughing right and you're like this is <laughs> off the charts and i got this idea of um, what's the difference between 
first world problems and like actual problems. And like, do we, cause that started to come up every day in my life. Cause there was like a million problems every day at work that we had to try and solve out it to solve. And you had to triage it. You're like, okay, is this an actual problem that needs to be dealt with right now? Or is this just something that's annoying somebody? Right. So you get good at triaging things as, as I think a lot of us did. And then I started thinking about, you know, families, cause you're seeing, you know, families starting to come apart and around, you know, all these different issues and everything. And, uh, I said, you know, I, 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 to myself, this is a conversation to myself alone in an office in a, you know, winter basement room in the spring of 2020. Um, it, wouldn't it be fun to, you know, get an ensemble cast of characters together and, you know, put them around a dinner table and all these people have grievances and uh, with one another and it all comes out uh, kind of like a National Lampoon's Christmas vacation situation. Right. Um, but then. Uh, it becomes something else and a werewolf shows up and starts ripping everybody apart. And that's kind of this whole um, idea of, oh, you guys think your petty grievances between, you know, brother and sister-in-law or husband and wife or kids or, you know, father, father-in-law and son-in-law are actual issues. They're not actual issues. Um, and how do I make that? How do I get that across? And so, lo and behold, Thanksgiving, dinner, 12 characters, stick them around a table. They've all got issues. Um, and then once, you know, the dinner finally hits its crescendo of, you know, absolute insanity and everybody is mad and it's a disaster and is about to storm out, that's when the monster shows up and they got to figure out how to, how to work together, which in that first phase of the pandemic we were all still under this, uh, you know, what seems kind of naive right now, but this idea of working together to get through this. <laughs> um, and I mean, maybe if I tried to write this today, I'd have a darker, more cynical view of things. I don't know. Um, but that was kind of the idea. And so it's a, it became this uh, two act uh, novella and uh, that's how it came about. There's no doubt though, that, you know, when it comes to dysfunctional family stuff and the way people get along, that had nothing to do with the pandemic. A lot of that's just stuff I've seen in my own life over the years that we've all experienced with mm. family dinners, holiday dinners that go sideways. I'm sure anybody who's lived, <laughs> you know, if you've lived long enough uh, and exposed yourself to enough people, then you have probably at some point in time been been to a dysfunctional family dinner or a dysfunctional dinner party, right? And, and I think there's a mm. universal humor in that if you really step back and take a look at it. I haven't been to a normal one. <laughs> I'm 60. I haven't seen a normal. You know, the only time I see normal families is on those television shows on, t on you know, sitcoms or whatever. Everybody seems like they're normal. Yeah, like, what you know, somebody's asked this question lots of times, like, what is normal, right? Like, I mean, yeah. if, if there is a normal, I've never experienced it. I'm not sure I want to. I don't think it'd be all that interesting or, frankly, funny. Um I, you know, nine times out of 10, when I'm saying something, whether it's in my day job or I'm writing something, um, I'm trying to interlace it with humor and make people laugh because that's just the way I'm wired. That's how I go through life. So, you know, it's uh, normal for me is boring. I'm not interested in, in normal. I'm interested in really flawed people who are trying to, you know, get through their day. Um, Boy, and you're on the right show. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> You know, but I have to say, okay, first of all, um, so are you that type of writer that is in the head, so to speak, of your characters? Like, do you, do you hear your characters' voices? Do you see them? Do you like, where, what's your experience? Or are you, is that totally alien to you? Because for me, that's totally alien, but I do all nonfiction. Whereas Dave, he's hearing voices 24 seven and doing weird stuff. So he's doing They tell me all sorts of weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I guess, you know, the answer to the question is probably more like Dave. But, like, to be honest with you, like, I can't separate. Is that me telling me stuff or is that actually other voices in my head of the characters? Like, I have no idea. Like, I think it probably, you know, it's some some mix of, of the both of them. But, yeah, I think the answer is, you know, when I'm writing these, you know, I get enough of a, of a visual or an idea of who these people are that they start to say things and do things that I actually didn't plan. And, right. and that becomes really interesting for me because it's like when I started and sat down to write Wolf of the Door, like I had no idea where it was going to end. I, I knew that 
all I was really trying to experiment with at the time, if I take a step back and I think about it as structure as a writer, so here's the really boring part, is like how bad could it get if you gave if you put a bunch of people who have um, history and natural conflicts with one another, but they're regular people into a scenario together and they're all sort of have to crash up against one another. Like where would it go? And so it was kind of like, uh, you know, a mad scientist playing a little social experiment in his head, but you're making the whole thing up. But it doesn't feel like you're making the whole thing up because you are hearing these voices and they're doing things and saying things that you didn't plan out. Like, I I write from the seat of my pants. David, I don't know uh, how you are, but that's kind of how I do it, because if I plan it out, I get bored and I'll never end up writing it. So do you write the book inside your pants in your seat? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird. I've got a whole contraption that, that achieves exactly that. Yeah. Mm. Okay. yeah. Well, well, with with your characters, uh, you, you know, they they kind of take over. Have they ever taken over so much that they've kind of rebelled against uh, the plot while you were writing this yeah. novella? Yeah, absolutely. That one, <laughs> Wolf at the Door. Um, everybody kind of did what I thought they would mostly do in terms of the broad arcs um some of the people who died were surprising because i never actually made any decisions around that it just sort of played out the way that it did um but i do have another one that i'm working on right now i was doing some writing last night and i i had one of those moments where i was like huh i didn't see that coming and i'm like no i have no idea how to deal with this and and where to go and so (laughs) today i find myself in this situation of like oh okay well uh I guess I'll have to puzzle through that one. And it's a bit like uh, not being a tradesman and trying to fix something in your house, right? You're kind of staring at it for hours trying to figure out, well, how does that actually work? And you know, where do I go with this? Yeah, writing yourself into a corner. <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. It's always right? fun. Yeah. Yeah, but you're you're not like waking up in the middle of the night with shovel in your hand or something weird like that, are you? Not that I recall, but do people, but do people who wake up in the middle of the night with shovels in their hand, do they remember? Like, I think if you're at, if you're at that point, like, are, are you even aware anymore? Like, that's a whole other question. But yeah, as far as I'm aware, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. And I think, you know, my wife is a lawyer. So, uh, a criminal lawyer. And so, you know, I'm, I'm Perfect. pretty, I'm pretty sure that if things got too far, she, I'd be, you know, she'd be working me down to the local corrections facility long before I was ever able to do anything. Cr- cr- criminal lawyer in Prince George. So what's she doing? Um, she must work the, the McDonald's drive through and there's something like, <laughs> like, like there's, there's no crime in Canada. Oh, you'd be amazed. It's not that different than the U.S. <laughs> but they're more polite. <laughs> yeah, they might be. Yeah, there's definitely some Canadian idiosyncrasies to it. There's no question. <laughs> they steal your wallet and then say sorry. <laughs> sorry, I needed your wallet. <laughs> did you guys ever see that video that was online a few years ago? It's not a true thing, but it was a cop car and uh, and uh, a criminals, and it's called a Canadian police chase. And they're, they're <laughs> yeah, both they're yeah. both stuck in snow, and they're both trying to push their vehicles through the snow, and while you know the drivers yeah. are, are ramming the engines to go forward instead of just stopping, getting out, and arresting them. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It, it kind of makes you think of that, right? That's kind of what you think of in Canada. It's true. It's true. You walk by it and you watch it going on. No, it's not that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so I, I have to ask this because, you know, you're on the verge. You know, you're, you're really setting yourself up to be canceled here, right? Because your main character is Charlotte Dearborn. Yeah. How can you, as a cis white male, write as a woman? I can see it coming now. If not, I'm going to make sure people, uh, people, listeners, make sure you you come down on him. Are you on Twitter? Get get on. Yeah, him. yeah. I mean, you know, like that's a oh, yeah. Uh, how do you how do you begin to unpack that conversation these days? You know, like uh, here, I'll say mm. I'll say this in 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 my defense. Like if I think there are experiences and information uh, that you know knowledge that people have from their own cultural backgrounds that I would never try to replicate right like I just don't know what it's like in certain areas and I think you're overstepping if you do try and play that card but I think there are things that are universal in some cases where you can get a you know as an artist you can get enough of an understanding of it that you can roll the dice and try it I am a big believer in art that 
you create uh, what you feel like creating. It's free. And uh, it's to the up to the audiences in the world when you, you know, have the gumption to put it out there to decide whether or not it actually flies and it's it's real. And so I think it's less about rules, at least for me, of, you know, what you can and you can't write and more about your own ability, your own knowledge and harnessing that and then putting it out there. And if you've got the guts to put it out there, then you should have the guts to deal with whatever, you know, the criticism is uh, good, bad or ugly. And if you pull it off, then, you know, at least for me so far with this book, you know, I haven't had anybody come come up to me and say, you know, that really didn't sound like uh, what, uh, you know, the uh, a middle aged, you know, uh, spouse female spouse would say in this situation nobody said that to me they've all thought it was pretty darn hilarious and and uh and kind of worked and i will say i mean she saves the day uh in in this particular case so you know she's the one who's actually got her her uh her stuff together the entire story so maybe that helps a little bit but that's kind of my view Mm -hmm. of it i think you know you've got to be careful about um setting rules and guidelines around how people create art um, well, you, yeah. you should have uh, used a different writer's name, like Jody, one that could have been a man or a woman. Yeah, right? yeah. And, 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 plus, <laughs> and plus this um, thing, you see, because the truth is, if someone, uh, it's not going to be a reader that comes after you. It's not going to be someone that reads Wolf at the door and goes, oh, I don't know if I really, this doesn't sound like a real woman here talking, you know, or something. You're not going to get that. You're going to get someone that looks at it and goes, how can this cis white male be writing about as Charlotte? That that's you know that's what you're going to get. They're not going to be really judging you on what you actually wrote. They're going to be judging you on the appropriation of being of a woman, so to speak. Yeah, maybe so. Right? I mean, maybe I've been lucky so far because nobody really knows. Well, we'll we'll make sure that you know. Come on, <laughs> yeah. LA, I mean, you guys are gonna. This, yeah, this yeah. becomes the experiment. Once once this airs, you're like, well, let's see how this all works out for Mister Joel yeah. Mackay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be you'll be you know, if you weren't so far north, they would chase you down. If you were <laughs> in L.A., they'd be knocking at your door, yeah. and picketing, and yep. outside with a loudspeaker. But yep. No, you're too. That's too far. And plus, it might be too cold by the time they get up there. It's going to be winter again, and yeah. Yeah, they they can find me on Twitter, right? I mean, that's that's yeah. where that's where the fight can be had. Well, did, does that, so did it even cross your mind to be politically correct in this, or or to even think about that, or do you even does that even come up when you put together a book? It, it does, uh, but it did in a different way for me. Um, I, I'm very conscious of uh, I don't know, maybe it's being a journalist, but it's also the the old axiom: write what you know. So you know, like I I. I try to write from the experiences I've had and the experiences of those people who I understand well have had that are close to me that I think I can create a facsimile of that rings true and, uh, you know, brings an audience along. So that's kind of how I look at it. But I am, I am cognizant of these things, not because I'm necessarily uh, fearful, though I am aware of what the social constructs and, and conversation is these days but i i have another side of my whole life that was really difficult for me around even publishing this under my name which is that i'm a you know a, a public sector employee and in canada i assume it's the st- same in the states i'm not sure but in canada you know when you're a, a, a public sector leader and, and in my case you know in, in a fairly senior role um the the typical approach has been to be quiet uh to not you know not get your name out there not have an opinion about anything and and be that professional public service and for good reason i understand that and so i was quite fearful that when i published this under my name and i actually thought before before it came out i thought ah, maybe it should be a pen name and i talked to a few people about it and at the end of the day i ultimately decided no this is me people are are more than one thing um you know, uh, people have to accept that there's nuance and if there's consequences for me, then I'll accept those consequences and I'll just try to handle it with whatever professionalism I can muster and try to separate the two or at least hope people can see that I've separated the two or I'm not using one to benefit the other. Uh, so I did ultimately decide to publish it under my name and uh, actually the reception has been very, very positive. I haven't had any any negative consequences. But I, to answer your question, I was really alive to that. 
Um, and, and that was my fear was how's this going to look? Um, you know, when yeah. suddenly not only did you come out writing a book, like if I'd written a history book about British Columbia or, you know, economic policy in British Columbia over the last hundred years, which is kind of, you know, related Holy. to my, my day job, then I wouldn't have worried about it. <laughs> but here I come flying out the door. Nobody knows this about me. And I'm writing, yeah, this is a horror comedy about, you know, a dysfunctional, you know, family dinner at Thanksgiving. And by the way, it's set in Prince George. And, and by the way, there's a werewolf and, and it gets ugly. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so far, so good. We'll see where this kind of yeah. all goes. I could be unemployed well, I mean, very soon and, and calling you saying if you need an assistant for your radio show. Who knows? <laughs> well, you know, I think that if, you know, if you become popular through this, I think you have far more, you know, terrifying things to worry about. Like, we found some of the most amazing pictures of you doing some of the craziest things online so i'm sure i would be far more worried about the graphic yeah. material yeah absolutely right world, i mean right? wait I mean. wait until they unroute the the truth of of mr joel mckay and what he's up to in the dark hours of the night right it's all right there in, in google yeah yeah i didn't i didn't realize wolves had sex like that but, <laughs> <laughs> but that was that's a whole new you know wow um i thought i was a modern guy well, you did say you're 60, Al, so I don't yeah. know. I mean, well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I still go to the wildest places when I can. So, uh, But things are changing, I'll tell you. And they, and they all call me sir now. <laughs> well, there you go. Do you, do you, so my question to you is when you hear that, does that make you angry or do you feel like you've earned it? Uh, neither feeling. I just kind of think, what, sir? What does that mean? <laughs> Sirloin of beef. I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, sir? Excuse me, sir. Sir? Like, that makes no sense. Call me werewolf. That makes more sense. <laughs> no, I just, uh, I, it's not fitting. That's all. I don't deserve the respect. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know you well, but you're doing this and you survived this, so maybe you did. I know. I keep and I keep trying, right? but they will not cancel me, and I don't know how much I try. I well, know. you know, like, and again, this kind of comes back to the conversation, not to beat a dead horse here, but, like, to be honest, like, look, everybody's got opinions, and when you sit down and you have a drink with somebody, it doesn't matter what walk of life they come from. If you're a decent person, you can find no matter you know, where they're coming from. Usually if you're just having a beer one-on-one, -on -one, you can get along with most people, right? I think that's yeah. generally the yeah. experience. And so, like, the thing that I think about these days so much is, you know, amidst all the vitriol that is going on, like, we've got to get, we got to find a way for people to just get back and have reasonable conversations and realize we're all flawed and that you kind of got to find a way to still have a conversation and work past our own flaws, our own in, in inadequacies or lack of knowledge to try and get somewhere constructive. Because at the end yeah. of the day... Like, what is everybody trying to do here? We're all just trying to get on with our days. We're all yeah. trying to get a decent night's sleep, you know, trying to, you know, have a decent meal and not be probably bugged too much. Maybe that's a very Canadian view of things. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, I, I do think for most of us, no matter where you are in the world, that's the truth. And that's kind of that, you know, if I had any political rant, it would be to get back to that. Like, let's get back to some reasonableness. And and maybe I think, you know, absurd werewolf humor is, is kind of a pathway there. And I'm probably 100 percent wrong by that. But I do think humor kind of does start to unlock doors. Uh, no, well, that's I totally agree, because anytime I meet people that totally with that or they're not necessarily people I would want to move in with, but they're, they're people that are different and most of them I can get along with quite well. There's very few times you can't, but that's, that's being personal or being online online. You're not personal with people. So it's, you know, you don't know them and it's easy to, to look at something and say something and people get into all that sort of stuff. And yeah. Yeah. I'm more interested in things that, <laughs> um, are not political. So I guess, I don't know. I don't get into it. Because for the most part, it's all silliness. It's all silliness. Yeah. I, I, I kind of start to feel the same way, too. Like, I I find the, as I get older... Well, like, you know, people need to be more real. Like, if you don't like, like in your case, if they don't like Pierre Trudeau, then they say, well, he's terrible, I don't like this, and I don't like that, and why doesn't he do this, and whatever. Instead of saying, 
he's Castro's son and he's a Muslim and he's, you know, eating baby pizza or whatever. You know, it's just it's just like with Clinton and as if people get into all this weird stuff and it's like, look, just get back to normal. If I want to hear about weird stuff, I'm going to read Joel McKay's book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, but I'm with you on that one. Like, I mean, you know, like at the end of the day, why do we have to invent all these weird things in our reality around that? I've always wondered of this question around apocalyptic fiction. You know, why is it that humans are so obsessed with this notion of the incoming end of the world, even though we have no evidence that that has ever occurred or will ever occur? Um, and like I, I, part of me, the, the dark humorist in me, has always kind of had this idea rolling my hat around the head that it's just our own obsession with trying to make our time alive more special than it really is, and that if you believe that the end is nigh, that uh, you're on the precipice of the end, and thus this is a very important time, and thus everything that everybody does is really more important than it is. Whereas if you just accept that you know you're one of seven billion people and you're trying to make your way in the world and you're eventually going to pass away and people will forget about you from three generations from now. It kind of takes the air out of your sails a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, I and so I, I kind of, of yeah. I liken that to these conspiracy theories. Like they, they do feel a bit like we're, you know, people drumming up, you know, to some extent, uh, you know, a fairy tale to add some meaning where there doesn't need to be meaning. And what we need to get back to is just saying, Hey, how are you? How's things going? How can I help? Practical solutions. Carry on. And if you're not interested in those conversations, then, you know, talk about, like you say, talk about other things you are interested in. this case, in this particular hour, we're talking about, you know, werewolves in Canada for some ungodly. Yeah. No, and it's true. I think, I think that these horror, that's the big rush for horror and, and the end of the world and all this stuff. I think it's, it's kind of, even the superheroes, isn't it in a sense that things are, um, in life become very um, unsure. People get very scared at times or nervous. And I think it's about um, lining up good with evil. Like this is the good, this is the savior, this is the evil, this is the bad. We've got to stop the bad because the world's ending and we've got to have the good. Like it's kind of this yeah. superhero sort of thing. So either you're painted as Satan or you're painted as, as the you know, God or a superhero or someone that's going to, do the right thing and all it's kind of this black and white sense and 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 werewolves and cell phones and all these evil things that are there we have to be you know watching for so i think you're in a sense that's right and i think having a comedy and i think having a lot of this because look at all this stuff like uh, do you like current horror yourself like I do. Yeah, I do. It's um, I, I read a fair bit of it. Um, but I, I, you know, it's like anything like, you know, like I like Marvel movies, but I don't like every one of them. Kind of right. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just overdone with it. That's all. There's too many. <laughs> Personally, <laughs> I'm not just, the first it's... person I've met who said that. I, I still yeah. like them, but I get yeah. it. I, I get when I hear that from like a friend of mine, he's like, I've done with the whole MCU thing. I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. Right. I'm not there. I still enjoy them, but I don't enjoy all of them, you know? No. And it's well, like, I think I can sit it, but I just don't, I'm not, you know, if one comes out and it's at the theater, I mean, I have no problem waiting until it's streamed. You yeah, know, that's I'm the same way. Thing. You know, I, I'm not like dying to get out, waiting in a lineup to get into a crowded theater to have some kid kick the back of my seat while I'm watching, you know, yeah. some, you know. I break that uh, with you. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave still goes. He he waits in lineups and gets out every time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Dave, he's, he's psychotic. He's right into all that, you know. Yeah. Horror superheroes. Horror superheroes. Yeah. Rocky, <laughs> Rocky eighteen, Rocky eighteen, <laughs> crazy. What do you? What do you want people to get out of your book? Someone picks up Wolf at the door. What? What, what is it you hope they take away from it? Uh, to be real honest with you here, like all I've ever wanted to do in my life is write stories that people would come away with at the end of it and say that was a ripping good yarn, Joel. I enjoyed myself, and then carry on and get on with their day. That's it. That's all I want to do. I'm I'm not here to actually say anything meaningful. I'm not here to you know uh, pass on, be the next great literary hero. I I I like pulp stories. I like stories for entertainment. I think there's value in that, and so if I 
it, 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 Wolf at the Door is 129 pages, and you can probably read the damn, darn thing in, you know, two hours or thereabouts. And if at the end of that two hours you say, yeah, that was a page turner, that was, that was pretty entertaining, Joel, thank you, then that's all I'm in it for. Are there deeper themes and stuff that I've buried in there, like, you know, some video game programmer who's buried a secret Easter egg or, or code in there? Yeah, there are. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, there, that's not actually, I wasn't trying to say something grandiose with it. I was really trying to test myself as a writer with an ensemble cast to do something a bit different and make it interesting, entertaining. And if I get a reader who says afterwards, yeah, that's not Tolstoy, but it was bloody funny. Um, I'm like, yes, score. That's that's what I was after. Well, speaking of funny, um, you know, they say for like stand-up comedians and stuff too, to land a joke, you need uh, comedic timing. And I'm just wondering if you feel there's maybe a timing or a flow that's necessary when you're writing um, uh, humor in prose. I think there is. I would not pretend to be an expert in it, uh, but I, I think there absolutely is. I think you can feel when you're writing, especially when you're writing dialogue, because that's typically where the humor is going to be, is a cadence to things. And if you, if you, I feel that, I don't know that, but I feel that as a writer. If you understand your characters and if you've painted them clear enough for your audience and they, your audience has fallen along, and then they start peppering each other back and forth in a conversation. It can get pretty, pretty funny, pretty easily, pretty quick. Um, but it's in the cadence, and and it's in the setup, right? Like you gotta, you, you have to have articulated who these people are and the situation that they are currently in, um, how they talk, their you know idiosyncrasies, and if you set that all up, then you can land jokes pretty repeatedly, you know, and. Mm. That to me seems to be the way to do it. But I would tell you, and this is kind of the weird thing. Like if somebody said to me, "Oh, Joel, you know, there's some funny parts in Wolf at the Door. You know, why don't you write stand-up comedy?" No way, no way. <laughs> I, I think that's the hardest job in the world, um, mm. and I, I I wouldn't even know where to begin. Um, and so I, I do think they're they're different, and I think for, you don't need necessarily as much skill to do it in long-form prose as you do when you're standing alone on a stage in front of an audience of people, right? It's a different, it's a different thing, but I could be wrong about that too. That's just how I feel about it. Wow. So do you like, is this book, um, blood and guts, solid fear, or is this more suspense with the comedy? Yeah, it's two acts. It's suspense. So the first act is, is the setup and the dinner with the characters. Uh, the second act is when the werewolves uh, show up and, and when, uh, everybody has to come together, whoever's left surviving, uh, to figure out how they're going to get through the night. Um, so it is more comedy than horror. Um, but it is most definitely horror when it kicks in. And there are, you know, even in that first act, uh, you know, there's a fair bit of foreshadowing that something is, is coming. And I got to say, like, I, like, I haven't been, you know, the, the werewolves are incidental here. Like, I have not tried to ha- hide the fact that this is a book about werewolves. Like, it says on the back, and then a werewolf shows up, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And on the front, there's a picture of a werewolf, and in the title, it says wolf at the door. Like, I, <laughs> I've never tried to hide it. And I, that was very intentional. Like, it, I, I didn't want to hide the monster. I wanted the monster to come out sooner. Because sometimes in horror, I'm frustrated when they spend, you know, the creator spends three quarters of the time, you know, uh, teasing what this monster is. And then you finally get a look at what it is, and you're kind of let down. I, You know, I'm just... I knew that it's just a werewolf, you know, like this is a universal movie style werewolf from the 1950s. Let's just get it out front. That's what this thing is. Uh, but let's make the characters and, and their relationships more interesting with one another. So it's not slasher all the way through, more comedy than horror. Yeah, yeah. Well, I understand that. So now, do, do you, um, are you doing social media? Do you have a website? Where, is there a place that people find Joel McKay, like Tinder, Grindr, anything like that? <laughs> <laughs> neither, <laughs> neither of those places. Um, but you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Joel C. McKay. Uh, and, uh, I am, I am dabbling into Instagram. So author Joel McKay, you can find me on Goodreads, um, LinkedIn as well. Uh, those would be kind of the places I will not, uh, say I am particularly good at social media. I've got a really, 
I don't know what you guys are like, but like I've got this uh, complex relationship with social media where like I know I got to do it and sometimes I enjoy it, but there's this other part of me that just feels like the whole thing is kind of like, you know, a waste of my time and I'd rather just be writing. So I, I'm, I'm trying to get better at it. I'm not yeah. naturally good at it. No, and I don't, I, you know, I'm not, but what I've done is um, I've kind of made it part of my early morning. The first thing I get up with the dogs and then I do the social media and I just kind of put out what, you know, who's on the show tonight or if I'm writing something, I'll put just the basic information and I do it on all platforms and I always throw out a really nasty joke sort of thing, <laughs> um, try to make people laugh because the idea is to, it's to have some fun in life. So it's to, to make some someone laugh or unfriendly and then um, <laughs> and that's it. Then you can kind of walk away and then I go back to it every once in a while just to update something. But that's I just do it every morning and then it's it's kind of regular. And I think that's all you need to do, because then if you have someone following you that likes to read your stuff or see your stuff or whatever or know if you're going to be on a show or something then they kind of um because they they'll check it when they check and they go, oh look joe's on house of mystery i'm going to check that out yeah you know, so it, you know stuff like that so what you just 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 make it part of your like you brush your teeth hopefully and then um then you then you do like 20 minutes with all the platforms you just throw a little bit of something out there get on tiktok dress up like a werewolf and start I, dancing. now i gotta yeah. brush my teeth too like well i man. know but one step at a time <sighs> once oh. you know <laughs> let, let's start with the teeth because really yeah, let, let me start with the teeth i'll get those cleaned up then i'll consider the tiktok with the werewolf costume and the... yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. well just think about it. werewolf mask then you don't have to wear any clothes and then you can just dance around and Thing. Boy, Isn't... you'll get thousands of views. Yeah, yeah, and I and I'm pretty sure a uh, pink slip uh, from my board. <laughs> they are not going to know it's you. How are they going to know? It's oh, you? they'll know. It's a small province. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they've all they've all seen it before. <laughs> well, listen. There's now now we come to the end of the show, but there's the the last. This is the uh, hot seat question, the most important question of the night, the day, whatever. Now, the turkey that was carved, male, female, or what? Okay, so <laughs> I hear I'm going to cop to something. I don't even know what gender a turkey normally is when it's served in Thanksgiving. This question never even popped into my mind when I wrote it. You're the first person to ask it. So I would say the turkey can be identified or interpreted however the audience would like. I have no answer on that. Schrodinger's turkey. There you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Schrodinger's turkey. Yeah. Well, you know, see, that brings the question. You see, like, what is a turkey when you're about to eat it at the dinner? Do you even know if, if it was male or female? Do I even know that it was a turkey? Yeah. I didn't see it get slaughtered or, or no. You know, maybe it's just, it is just a really big chicken. I have. To... <laughs> <laughs> it's a, that's what the chickens look like in Prince George. Yeah. There you go. Move up oh. north. The meat's good. <laughs> oh, we see we can leave it on that there you go <laughs> the meat is good and you're going to find out you watch joel on tiktok okay so when he gets going and you'll find out how good the meat is so anyway um today we've been talking about the wolf at the door and uh, joel mckay has been the guest and uh, we'll have everything up on our website so thank you for being on the show thanks very much for having me it's a pleasure to talk to both of you Thanks, Joel. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.